0: Welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sports. My name is Bobby Sue, and today I'm very excited to have Tracy West, the tournament director for the Valspar Championship, president of Copperhead Charities, and executive vice president of Pro Sports. Uh, Tracy is in the Tampa Bay area, and um, we've had a couple of opportunities to chat, and I'm excited to talk more with you. So, hi, Tracy. Hello, Bobby Sue, and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Um, we're uh, we keep missing each other um, because of our schedules, but I am. I'm glad that we could kind of make this work, and it's uh, not quite crazy time for either of us just yet in our schedules.
1: Exactly, but, uh, <laughs> but that will be
0: short-lived, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. I mean, right when I'm back after this week, forget it um you have a really fun story about how you ended up working in sports you started out more as like an economist finance analyst type position is that correct
1: yeah absolutely yeah at a, at a grad school um i worked in marketing research and and um building economic forecasting models so it was a far cry from being in this professional sports world that's for sure
0: i Yes, it must have had a great, um, given you a great background, uh, to understand, you know, different paths that the, um, the different organizations you've worked for could go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's p- particularly the time I spent in, in market research, um, that is so, uh, so applicable, you know, to understanding your customers and your clients, um, and, and your p- prospects, um, is something that you can use in any industry and any business. So I find myself still using information that I learned, um, you know, through that position, uh, you know, decades later. So that that particularly was was very, very helpful in my career. Um, The product management um, work that I did in economic forecasting, um, you know, really helped hone because a lot of it was in the insurance industry and the office furniture industry. So it really honed uh, my math skills and, you know, which has played out great importance, um, you know, as we're building budgets and, and doing the work that we do um, in, in the pro sports arena. So that was incredibly helpful as well. And the product management stuff that's, you know, anytime you can do product management um, it's, it's a process. Everything that we do in sports is a process. And so learning, Timelines and keeping track of, um, you know, the multitude of items that, that have to occur. Uh, again, the, all those those positions definitely helped my career.
0: You must be very good at Excel. Yes,
1: <laughs> I can
0: build. That's <laughs> all budgets I can imagine right now, <laughs> <laughs> and and I am terrible at it. Um, Can you tell the story about how you ended up with your first position um, in sports um, and, you know, how your volunteer experience uh, led to that? Yeah, for
1: me, um, yes, I did not, my career goal, I did not have being in pro sports and particularly in in professional golf in mind at all, um, going through school. And uh, so it really was through some volunteer efforts. Uh, So out of grad school, um, I got married young, um, right out of grad school and uh, lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, where my husband was from. And so he certainly knew a lot of folks. I did not. Um, So I had colleagues that in my first um, position, first job, um, that recommended I join uh, the JCs, which is a group, uh, the Junior Chamber of Commerce. And they operated and managed the Senior PGA Tour. So I'm dating myself. Senior PGA Tour event at the time um, in the late 80s, early 90s in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So I actually started to volunteer for the JCs and on that event um, and did that for three years and uh, having increased um, uh, job responsibilities or volunteer responsibilities, if you will, um, to ca- uh, committee chair p- person and on, on the board of directors and found I was really uh, enjoying <laughs> doing that uh, more so than, you know, my existing position. And there was uh, really just a handful of us, about a dozen of us that that really were in charge of, of managing that event. Uh, So, we gained a lot of responsibility even as a volunteer and spent a lot of hours um, every week working, you know, or volunteering on that event. So, when the PGA Tour and the senior PGA Tour were going to start a new event in Minneapolis, uh, they hired a tournament director and suggested that he hire a tournament manager, assistant tournament director. um, And he came over to our tournament and I met him there and we spent Shockingly, about five minutes, uh, maybe three times throughout that week, because uh, you know you're running crazy. It's the actual event week, right, right? And so after about fifteen minutes, yeah, he called me the the next Monday afterwards and offered me the position, and
0: we left corporate, Fortune five hundred America, and moved to Minneapolis. That's crazy, and so fun. What were um, what was the junior chamber doing? Running it? Um, how did that? How did that partnership work?
1: Yeah, so basically the PGA Tour, for every PGA Tour event um, and Champions Tour event, LPGA Tour event, um, they, there's a host organization in the city that's granted the rights. Um, so the PGA Tour will grant a charity, a 501c3 organization in a particular city, the rights to host a PGA Tour event in their town. And so the JCs happened to be the 501 C3 Foundation that had the contract um, with the PJ Tour to host a senior tour event in Grand Rapids, Michigan. They did it. The JCs did it really as the whole mantra of the the JCs is you had to be under forty. And the whole point of the organization was to do civic-minded projects that were either good for the community from an economic impact standpoint or from a charity standpoint or a quality of life standpoint or all of those goals. Uh, And it was a way for young professionals, so just starting their career, to really get some management experience, you know, that maybe they weren't getting in their, you know, new job or their first job. So, so that was the point of the JCs. So Hmm. they happened to, you know, they, they for for a couple decades, they ran the event there.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. I don't think I ever knew the background there. Do the JCs receive any revenue from those or, you know, whatever the organization is, do they get revenue out of it or...
1: Yeah, because uh, serving as what what's called the host organization, you take on the financial risk and responsibility for for the tournament. The PGA Tour does not. You you do as the five hundred one c three. So mm-hmm. you you take in all the revenues from sponsorships and ticket sales and um, concessions and merchandise, and but you also have all the expenses, meaning the players' purse, building all the structures, everything that you need to do um, to. actually... Uh, activate um for the sponsors that you sell uh the signage etc management fee or whatever personnel so we we did have two staff members but then there was 12 volunteers um and but as the JCs they would make money on it and then they would turn around and take that money as a pass through 501c3 foundation and give the money out to local charities in the Grand Rapids area and that's how it works with with every PJ tour event and Champions tour event so the 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 foundations usually a foundation of some sort owns that event, raises money, and then gives out the money in the local charities, or one big local charity might own the, own the rights to host the event. So it might be a hospital in a particular area. Right. So, so That's they benefit from the note and you know the net proceeds of the tournament.
0: That's really interesting. So for the Valspar Championship, that would be Copperhead Charities. Yeah. So here in Tampa,
1: so my current position, um, as you said, I'm the tournament director for the Valspar Championship, which is a PJ tour event. Um, and yes, Copperhead Charities is our 501c3 foundation. So, but we don't do direct services. It's not like we're it, all the money that we raise, we turn around and give to local charities. So last year, as a result of the 2017 tournament, we raised $2.4 million in profit, if you will, or, um, you know, net, net proceeds and donated that to over 80 local charities in the Tampa Bay region. Whoa, that's great. Yeah. So, I mean, a PGA tour event, I mean, it's really, it, it, there's kind of four big buckets uh, or why communities would want a PGA tour event, you know, a, the economic impact, you know, so our economic impact is estimated at over 51 million each year. Uh, so we worked with USF, the, um, University of South Florida. On that study, so the economic impact it creates, um, obviously the charitable dollars that it you know impacts the community, the quality of life. Anytime you can have you know a PGA Tour event in in your town and get the chance and opportunity to see the world's best golfers, you know that's pretty cool, and a lot of people right. think that's pretty cool um, and come out and watch. And then certainly the the uh, recognition for the area. Uh, PJ Tour events are broadcast um, in over 225 countries, um, throughout the world. So you're highlighting, you know, so we've got over 50, almost 60 hours of coverage, um, and in and out of the broadcasts, um, and, you know, during commercial breaks and, you know, coming out of commercial breaks, we're highlighting the Tampa Bay region. So we're showing beauty shots of, you know, the sugar sand beaches here in Pinellas County. We're talking Mm -hmm. about all the great things to do in Tampa. So from a tourism perspective, and it's, it's, you know, really worthwhile. So, there's a lot of benefits to a PGA Tour event.
0: Of course, um, you work with Tampa Bay Sports Commission um, for any of that.
1: We do. We work with a uh, Tampa Bay Sports Commission, visit Tampa Bay, and then visit St. Pete Clearwater. Um, so, we work with all the major tourism um, organizations and make sure that they have recognition, um, you know, during the program and so forth.
0: Great. Um, I want to back up a little bit. You. Were not a golfer. Um, and in fact, in high school, you were a basketball and track star. Um,
1: <laughs> you might use that word star loosely.
0: <laughs> I mean, I like to think of my years as a runner in high school, like Al Bundy used to think about that one game in his high school football days, just pure glory um <laughs> exactly
1: put it this way I was the star of our freshman team uh, uh, but that's only because the best players were promoted to the JV right away <laughs> but but no I did play uh you know varsity basketball four years and and um and did run track uh two years so but you, no I did not
0: golf <laughs> what was your um event in track uh the mile <laughs> Which was not fast. Don't even ask me my time <laughs> worry, this way, so
1: the best the best uh, star in our uh, school district uh, could
0: lap me. so there you go. <laughs> I mean these things they happen. Um, but, you know you're around subhumans sometimes it's, you know crazy. um uh, it's funny track was always a really interesting outlet for me. you know, press country was really one of the sports that I, I loved and track was was fun because there were so many things going on all the time. So you could cheer like even though you had to, you know, eat, you could cheer for other people too. Um because your event only went for however long it went, right? And then there were a right. bunch of other things going on. And so I always loved that about track. Um, in cross country, I mean granted if you're one of the first kind of sure but you can't be like out in the middle of the wilderness cheering them on usually because you can't get there fast enough.
1: exactly no i would agree and then that that's probably one of the reasons why I, why I did like track but quite frankly i did it because our basketball coach uh forces to do it
0: <laughs> <laughs> well my my cross country and track coach made us all do indoor track unless we were on a basketball team and there was no coordination there for me so uh, yeah, it was indoor track for four years too. Just interesting. Um, when, um, when you were growing up and the member, the male members of your family played golf, but they just didn't really think to include you. Um, can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, uh, so I'm 52. My father, um, if he were still uh, living, would be, oh gosh, 90 something, 97, 98. Uh, So he he was older, you know, he was an older father and he was a terrific dad, Um, but he grew up in an era of you know, women just didn't play golf. And I grew up in a smaller town in Michigan, about 18,000 people. And there just there weren't a lot of women playing golf. Or And if they were, you know, they were a little bit older women. There wasn't a lot of girls, you know, and there just weren't girls playing. So it really just never dawned on him, you know, to teach me the game. Um, He loved to golf. My grandfather loved to golf. Uh, My brother, they took him. um, And he actually ended up as a class A pro um, at one point not not on tour, but um, a club pro. And uh, it just they just it just didn't dawn on them. And, and I do distinctly remember one day when I was finally old enough to realize that, hey, these guys are going out and having, you know, great quality time together. And, you know, I'm sitting at home waiting for them, you know, to come home every Sunday. And it finally dawned on me to really ask. Um, and, you know why you know, could I go and, or could I learn? And, and I just distinctly remember with all seriousness and it wasn't, I mean, again, my father was a great dad, but he just looked at me and said, but who would you play with? You know, it just didn't Mm -hmm. dawn on him that, you know, that they would actually take me to play with them. You know, um, it just wasn't done at that point. So, so no, I didn't learn to golf until I graduated from uh, when I was out of grad school. Um,
0: and, Your husband, he's a, he's a pro or was a pro?
1: Yeah, he's a class A pro as well. So we both, um, we both work in golf. Uh, So he, but he did not start off um, that way. He, he actually played collegiate basketball and um, studied accounting and worked in accounting for, for many years. And then as a teacher, Um, but then he, again, same thing. He really didn't take up the game um, until after college as well. So we both started together and he fell in love with it um i think it was for him uh, uh, a way to be competitive again you know you know that now that he was out of the basketball arena and um he really self-taught himself um and to the point where he could pass all the tests and become a class a pro so so we are a golfing family now
0: that is so cool do your um, children play
1: They do. They're both in college. Um, It's not their primary thing that they would ask to do. You know, so if we have an afternoon free and you say, hey, what do you guys want to do this afternoon? Um, That's not the first thing that pops out of their mouth. (laughs) But uh, but we we did teach them just because we do feel it is such a lifelong um, great sport um, to play. And we wanted to make sure that they they knew the rules, they knew how to play, they could get around the course um, without you know, embarrassing themselves. So they're, they're both, um, I wouldn't say they're tremendously um, talented golfers, but they can hold their own.
0: I, I mean, I think either holding your own or being able to laugh at yourself while you do it is really important. Um, I tend to go the laugh at myself route. Uh, I, I try, but not, not too seriously to the point where I make people wait for me. Well, and that's
1: and that's just it. I mean, it's what most people or what a lot of beginning golfers, let's say, don't understand is most people that you play with really could care less how you play. <laughs> they really don't. You know, they care about their own game. They don't care about how you play. They only care if you impact their game, which means if you're playing slow or you're not, you know, you don't understand the rules or aren't playing by the rules and, you know, those sorts of things. But most people could care less what you what you score, what you shoot. They they're <laughs> concerned about their own score.
0: Sure. Um, you spent 16 years uh, back where I'm from ish um, in the Boston area. Uh, can you talk about what it was like working for uh, the VOA uh, championship when it was there, and then transitioning over to the foundation that you started working with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so when we first moved to Minneapolis, then we were there for seven years and then um, left Minneapolis and, as you said, moved to Boston. And that's so we moved when our kids were three and one. And uh, it was to become tournament director at the Champions Tour event that was in Boston at the time called the Bank of America um, Championship. And uh, it was a great. Great experience. So I did that for 10 years, you know, raised our kids there. Um, and then, and, uh, when the financial crisis um, happened in the fall of 2008, uh, we just happened to be under contract um, renegotiations or renewals with Bank of America at that time. Um, and obviously, everyone knows the history all heck broke loose and all the banks you know we're we're just fighting to survive um so so our contract so we lost them as our title sponsor and we're not able to replace them so so the tournament went away and my options were to move someplace else um and stay in professional golf or make a career change and at that point in time you know, I had been doing golf for what, 20, well, 10 and about 18, 19 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just thought, you know, this is a time for a change and we really didn't want to move, um, our family, um, at that, at that stage of the game. Um, they, they were in late, uh, late, uh, grade school. And, and um, where
0: you know, were you I living? Just, Uh, Acton, Massachusetts.
1: So it's right out by Concord. So very Mm -hmm. historical area, quite beautiful. Great schools. Yeah, top. You know, really top two, three um, high school in the whole state of Massachusetts, which is saying something because they have Mm -hmm. tremendous schools there. So, uh, so I said, you know, maybe let's just stay and see. You know, see what else we can find. Um, So through working through networking connections that I had made at the tournament, um, I was able to. Hook up with the development team at Mass General Hospital, Massachusetts General Hospital. And they, in partnership with the Red Sox Foundation, were starting a brand new clinical care program uh, for veterans coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, because that's right at that time, obviously, you know, war was in full motion um and then a lot of veterans coming back obviously with post-traumatic stress um and traumatic brain injuries so mass general um really actually two owners of the red Sox, um, wanted to do something to in a dramatic way to help so they partnered with massachusetts general hospital to start a clinical care program um so but money had to be raised for it so the development office was hiring um to start a, a new team within the development office of mass general to raise money for this program. Um, so it was great timing. Um, they wanted someone that could come in and create, uh, from scratch some really pretty big signature events, um, right away to start to raise millions and millions of dollars. Um, so they tapped, um, into, um, uh, myself. So I, and then obviously you know, I had a, um, a person over me there, um, at the development office, and Michael Allard, terrific person, and the two of us really started um, the fundraising efforts. And one of the first things we did in in um, partnership with the Red Sox Foundation and their team was create a run called a run to the run to home base. Mm-hmm. And the thought process was anyone that knows. The Boston Red Sox um, knows Fenway Park and what hallowed ground
0: oh, <laughs> Fenway God, Park I is. It.
1: And that nobody touches home plate in Fenway Park. I mean, they would do some events like out, you know, picnic in the park, out in the outfield, those sorts of things. But there was never any time anybody, you know, the general public, um, tours, anything, you never got on um, the warning track near the home plate and we're able to touch it. So we said, well, what a better, what a better asset, you know, we've got crazy new England, you know, Boston Red Sox fans. And um, so we convinced the team to allow us to start a 9k run um, starting at um, Fenway park outside on Yawkey way and winding um, through Boston um, up and down the Charles river and then coming back and finishing by crossing home plate. Well, uh, that was huge. I mean, people lined up in droves. We had you know almost two thousand people um, our first year um, immediately, and then it grew from there. And we raised millions and millions of dollars um, doing that. And then we started other events as well. Um, you know, a huge concert series and some things like that. But um, but yeah, so I was there for six years and just uh, loved it and loved being able to you know support the men and women that you know served you know serve us in our country and really needed need the
0: help. I remember when that race first started, um, it was really cool to watch how it grew and even to this day, how it still grows. Um, and I haven't run it yet because I'm, I don't know, lazy or something, but, um, well now I live down here, so that makes it a little difficult, but, um, it it always intrigued me. Why nine K? Yeah. So
1: it was for really two reasons. A we wanted. We did not want it to be a standard length run, meaning a 5K or a 10K, because we did not want people to use it as a serious. Even though they were going to have bibs um, where they they would get a race time, we didn't want them to use it as any sort of qualifier um, into larger events. You know, so some people, you know, when you're trying to get into a certain um, you know, half marathon or marathon, you need to prove what your times are at, at lower um, or uh, smaller distance races, right? Sure. So we didn't, because they were coming into Fenway Park and we wanted people to cross home plate one by one, um, we didn't want there to be them to take the timing too seriously. So we didn't want to do a 5K and we didn't want to do a 10K. So 9K is. Nine K meaning nine strikeouts in baseball. So oh, we picked the 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 distance of a nine K, um which was which was perfect, um and because we also didn't want it to be five K because we could only take X number of runners. You know, the team was really concerned, especially the first year, on how this was going to go. So we didn't want to immediately have a race that had five thousand participants. And if you do a five K, the shorter mileage that you know, okay. that could, that could have possibly happened. So we wanted to make it a long enough distance that it did weed out some folks at least. Um, and so, yeah, so we settled on um, a 9k and it, it, it people kind of learned to understand the, the nuanced significance
0: of that. And, uh, it worked out really well. Did you, um, the first year, was it over Memorial Day weekend?
1: Um, I think it was the first year, but it changed. The date changes every year because of the game schedule. So sure. the you know, so once the you know MLB schedule would come out each fall, um, we were able to then pick a date because the very first year, again the team not knowing how this was going to go, sure, or were we going to damage anything, um, you know, that <laughs> they didn't want a game the next day and not having to, or, or that night. And you know, so we had to pick a date when there was a, you know, an away, you know, away stand um, yeah. instead of a homestand. Um, and so that's, we were really went around the MLB schedule. Then once that happened, they realized, Hey, we're not damaging anything. Everything's fine. Um, so then we really started to pick the date more on than actually making sure it was on a morning of a game night because we started to then, you know, have people be able to upgrade and purchase a ticket, you know, to the game that night and do different, you know, different things around it. So
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, and you see so many other organizations doing that, um, you know, whether, you know, with their, um, foundations and having runs that end on the 50 yard line or um in stadiums and it, it's a it's a fun draw for people
1: it is and it's much more as you said it's much more common now um it wasn't you know back then because now this was i think they they're running this year is july 15th if i'm not mistaken so coming up here pretty quick and this will be the ninth ninth year eighth or ninth okay. year I was so gonna say, um, so it wasn't real then. common back then to right. you know to have you know these sorts of runs in in stadiums but it as you said it is now yeah but um, nothing's nothing like crossing a home plate in Fenway Park though
0: oh my gosh <laughs> one of these years I'll run it um you know the the operative word being run
1: well they they actually have since um last year they actually did um add a 5k so you can run either distance now so so yeah
0: they've they've done a few other things over there i know um they've had the spartan race uh in there and like a little spartan sprint for kiddos which is like really fun um to see happening in that in that uh ballpark um, they're
1: they're very 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 creative um they've got a tremendous ownership from john henry and tom warner on down and um these guys are incredibly incredibly smart and um, very creative and they have figured out how to maximize the usage of fenway park no question
0: oh for sure uh, it's i don't know it's my favorite place i think um it last year i i was happy that um during July Fourth week, I was up there for a few days and happened to be. Um, I think I was there July Fourth, fifth, and sixth, or something like that. And I got to. Um, they had a homestand during that time, so I got to go and watch game, which you know makes me happy.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a special place. It was. It was definitely, definitely hard decision to to leave there. No question.
0: Well, and let's talk about that. Um, how did the opportunity arise for? um you to to make that change practical
1: yeah so um the PGA tour here in tampa um they had was searching for a title sponsor uh and they uh are Company um, now that I'm back. Um, so we have a, a company. So the original tournament director in Minneapolis that hired me back in the day, uh, he and I and a couple other partners formed a company called Pro Links Sports. And um, even though I left, obviously for a time, uh, they continued on in, in golf and they're quite successful. And um, our CEO and original partner is a fellow by the name of Hollis Kavner, who is a brilliant. Um, brilliant marketer and brilliant, um, in the, in the golf pro golf space and have started, um, many, um, uh, champions tour events. And he was the one that helped find, um, or found the title sponsor of Valspar, Valspar paint for the event here in Tampa. Um, and he was seeking a new tournament director. They were going to make a change, um, from the existing tournament director and looking for, you know, bringing in someone with, some extra creativity and, and, and management and so forth. And he called me back up cause we obviously had stayed in touch, um, over the years and, um, asked me to come back and said, listen, you know, we have this great opportunity. It's, it won't be a champion's tour event. It's going to be a PGA tour event. So it's kind of the, you know, the big show, if you will. And, mm-hmm. um, and he said, you know, I think you'd be the perfect term director here. Um, so we made the leap of faith, um, You know, it was hard. It was hard to leave Boston. Um, At the time we left at that point, um, my son had just graduated high school, but my daughter was going into her junior year of high school. Um, So it was an extremely um, gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching decision. I've never had that tough a decision in my entire life on anything. Um, And it was really, really hard. I actually was um, very close to turning down the opportunity. And, um, but my husband and I did a lot of soul searching, and these jobs don't, they just don't pop up every day. I mean, there's only, you know, 46 PGA Tour events in the country. Um, most tournament directors are there for decades. Um, they just, the opportunities don't open up. And it, even though it would have been wonderful to have the opportunity pop up two years later, right. <laughs> you know, as she graduated <laughs> high school, um, we knew. This was it, I, you know. the The opportunity just wouldn't happen again, really, truly. Um, so we made the decision to do it, and um, haven't haven't looked back. So we've been in Tampa Bay now three years, going on our fourth year, and um, it's been a great decision. and And my daughter did survive, so I am here to say you can move your <laughs> your child in high school, and they they will thrive.
0: <laughs> well, and you had the, I guess, blessing of pointing up back. Towards Boston and say, see, this is why we moved when snowpocalypse occurred in the 2014, 2015 winter.
1: Exactly.
0: Because we were here
1: by that point and we missed that up there. And uh, yeah, she, yeah, she, um, she's, a my daughter's fantastic. She's a great girl. And, um, she, she adjusted just fine. And, uh, yeah, now you can, now you probably couldn't get her out of Florida. She loves it.
0: (laughs) Um, are they in school in Florida or? Yes, um, yes. My,
1: yeah, no. My daughter goes to Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, um, and my son—he actually is still because he had, at that point he was already accepted to the University of Massachusetts um, Amherst. So he's finishing his senior. He'll be going into his senior year um, and finishing up up there.
0: What is he studying?
1: Uh, uh, psychology with a neuroscience. Um, s- Specialty, I guess, is how oh we call it. Um, yeah, he's a, he intends to go to med school, so hopefully that will happen.
0: Well, that's my alma mater. Uh, I, I went there for their sport management program in yeah. undergrad,
1: which is a terrific program. It's a, they have one of the well, one of the first and one of the best yeah. sports management um, programs in the country.
0: Yeah, it was great. Um, I mean, I went a little crazy my first year there, but I think that happens to all people who have extremely strict, overbearing parents. Um but I mean the the professors and the advisors in the program were actually really great at kind of, you know, straightening me out <laughs> so to speak and um and working with me because I just I've always had a hard time in classes. Um I think I'm one of those people who if I don't feel challenged enough, I get bored and um and I found I fell in love with sport law. Um through them, um, one of the I had to take an intro to sport law class, and um, at the time, Glenn Wong was the professor up there. And um, I took it earlier than most people did, and just I was, I loved it. Um, so, and that university, it's beautiful up there in the fall, and the town is really cute. Um, I haven't been there in forever, though. So I have to wow. go. Have to go visit
1: exactly. You need well. You need to go up and visit when you can. Also time it for the right. But no. But fall. But seriously, yes. Fall. My favorite time to be in Boston, New England, is the fall. No question. And and you're right. um, Amherst is a delightful town. Um, And uh, yeah, our son really, really
0: enjoys it. I mean, I would appreciate if he were to get on a plane with a box of Antonio's pizza and bring it (laughs) down here. i'll
1: I'll see what i can do small ass maybe uh thanksgiving time okay (laughs) (laughs) after he goes into boston and gets me you know uh some some italian treats from the north end
0: (laughs) i know and while he's at it can he bring steamers um (laughs) sure (laughs) i get cravings for those this time of year and you like can't find them anywhere Um, i do make him send me
1: boxes of leaves
0: (laughs) do you (laughs) sure absolutely (laughs) That's so cute. I miss the fall. (laughs) That's really cute. I love that. Do you, do you get to travel around, um, to other tournaments in your position? I do.
1: I do. I, I I travel actually pretty decent amount. Um, and really for, for two reasons. Um, well, I really for three reasons. I mean, you like to see what other events do. So that's always positive, you know, a good reason to, to go out, but more so, um, player recruitment um you know needs to be done it's you know hand-to-hand combat you know trying to get you know the players to you know to play your event um you know it's it's you know the pga tour is probably the the largest sport or most prominent sport that um does not have a team right we don't know who's on our team we don't have a team each of the what most people don't understand is each of these pros are independent contractors so they pick and choose what tournaments that they want to play in so they they can play your week or they can just easily take your week off and, you know, play the next week instead. So you, so you literally have to go out and develop a relationship, not only with the players, but with their caddies and with their um, agents um, to really, you know, try and convince them to make sure that they come and play um, your event. So I probably go out to at least six or seven tournaments a year um, at at various stages throughout the year um, for, from a recruiting standpoint And then I'm also on um, the PGA Tour has an advisory board of tournament directors called the Tournament um, Advisory Council or TAC. And there's, I think, 10 of us, I believe, 10, 12 of us um, that are part of that. Um, And we have, you know, various meetings, um, you know, quarterly or um, every other month, you know, at different tournaments. So, so yeah, so I probably go out, you know, eight, nine times a year to other tournaments, at least.
0: Do you have particular ones that you go to each year or do you just kind of wait and see who gets awarded? Um, because it's not necessarily guaranteed that a, a city w- would get the, the tournament again each year, is it? Um.
1: Yeah. No. Kind of is. I mean, for the most part, you know, because usually, you know, um, the events have been in the same cities for decades. Um. At least on the PJ tour, on the Champions Tour, they tend to move around a little bit more. But um, on the PJ tour, they're usually pretty consistent, and and at least you know the, the there's ones that have been in you know cities in Houston and et cetera for you know decades, decades. Um. But so you can kind of plan, but also usually title sponsors will sign anywhere between four and ten year lengths of contract. So you know, you know they that you're, that yeah, you know you at least have it for that long. Um, so and if you lose a title sponsor, you usually obviously work very hard, um, and as does the PGA Tour to help replace that title sponsor to keep the event in that particular city. So they they try and not change cities unless you know, they just really have to. Um, so, so no, so I'm able to plan out and I do a combination. Um, yeah, there's definitely tournaments I go to every year. Um, uh, you know, like Bay Hill cause it's the week after us. So it's easy for me to zip over to Orlando and thanks the players that, you know, just played ours. Um, I go to the masters every year. Um, that's a great time to spend, you know, with, with, um, agents, plus our company does some work, um, you know, work affiliated with that during that week. Um, uh, I will go to the Dell match play in Austin, Texas. Cause we actually, our company again, helps Dell do, um, some offsite work, um, with, with some different pros during that week. Uh, but then my summer ones, I will usually pick and choose different ones based upon, you know, where, again, where the attack meetings might be. So it's
0: kind of a combination. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, I know that for, um, our stadium and the, people that run our stadium and um Tampa Bay Sports Commission they will often go to you know an event that they've been awarded but you know two years prior to when we're going to be hosting it so that they can get an idea of how it's run and you know the different things that people do um so it's, it's interesting to hear that you kind of do that too and the player recruitment part of your job is fascinating to me uh, I don't think I ever realized the intense, um, you know, negotiations that would have to occur to get players at tournaments. I, I thought it was a given that they go, that they just go, <laughs> I wish, <laughs> you know, it sounds like, you know, college basketball recruiting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Almost. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it kind of is. And, you know, it's it's an interesting dynamic because, you know, you've got, you know, 40 plus PGA Tour events. Right. And we're all very supportive of each other and we share best practices and we want everyone to succeed. Right. Because we're only as strong of a league as or league. I use that word loosely, but, you know, a league as as each is each tournament is correct. So right. and and you're really not competing. Um, for sponsors, for the most part, there are some national sponsors and so forth, but for the most part, you're selling tickets in your area. And, you know, you, most of your sponsors will come, you know, from your local area or regional area. There's some that are national, but so, but where you do compete is for the players, right? You know, because mm-hmm. they're not going to play every week. You know the, the top players, even even the players you know a little, little lower on the money list, they their bodies you know they they can't play you know forty six out of fifty two weeks. It's just not going to happen. So they're going to take off given weeks. You know, so they're you know they approach it, and each one of them, and that's why you have to get to know and understand. <laughs> each one of them you know so if, my, if I have 144 players in my field I've got to understand you know their thought process and their decision making and they're looking at at it a very number of ways and each one of them looks at it differently right you know they're going to figure out okay when our birthdays or anniversaries or when's my kids graduating from high school or these sorts of things, you know, and they'll, they'll, they'll figure out, okay, what weeks do I have to take off because of that? You know, my, you know, my brother's getting married, whatever. Right. So they figure that stuff out. Then where do I play well? You know, so I'm going to go to courses where I tend to play well. I'm not always going to, you know, I'm not going to, if I consistently for 10 years have played poorly on a particular golf course, I may stop going to that tournament. Um, So they're going to look at that. They're going to look at obviously prize money, you know, what's, what's Mm -hmm. the size of the purses. Um, And then, you know, and they're going to look at, yeah, how does, how does all of this impact my schedule on a flow basis? So if I, if my body tells me that I can only play a maximum of three weeks in a row, let's say. Mm -hmm. then, okay, so now I got to start to chart out, you know, what are the tournaments I want to play? So what are the other ones that I can put before or after it that makes sense, you know, from my travel perspective? So it's a, and then it comes (laughs) into, you know, so once they figure all that out, then, you know, they might look at it and say, okay, how does that tournament treat me you know do we like that tournament director do we like that you know um do they have nice places for us to stay you know do they do fun things for our wives and our spouses you know what do they do for the kids you know they'll start to look at the, all those other factors of which those are the things that we can impact cuz i really can't impact you know those first three or four things right sure. what i can impact is if it comes down to if, if all else is equal you know, on those three or four other things, and they're still then deciding between two tournaments, I can impact, maybe they'll come and play ours because I make the time and effort to come out and see them. Uh, you know, our player services folks do a great job doing X, Y, Z for them, those sorts of things. So it's important we go out and recruit so they get to know us the agents get to know us um, the caddies get to know us but it's it's a difficult it's a difficult process because they each make a decision based upon their own individual
0: needs and when do they need to tell you by that they're going to be playing in your tournament
1: yeah. So the, so the PJ tour season runs October through September. Um, so in Oct- Nice break. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, kind of like the NFL, right? Yeah. <laughs> Weird timing or all sports, right? Yeah. I don't think anything runs January through December anymore, but, um, so the season is October through September. So in October, the PJ tour has a system, where the players can start to commit. It's called committing to a tournament. So they commit to play. So that system opens up in October. So they can start to say, hey, I'm going to play the Valspar Championship in March, beginning the October prior. But they can commit anywhere between, you know, October 1 and the 5 p.m. the Friday before my tournament week. So I, yeah, it's really nerve wracking. So now most of them, you know, you'll have a group that are early committers, you know, that the, they know they're going to come play our tournament for sure. You know, so they'll start committing in October and November pace. will start to pick up, you know, quicken and, and, um, you know, over the December, you know, a lot of them will figure out and they commit kind of by the quarter. So they'll think, okay, what am I going to do? Uh, January through March. So over the December holidays, they'll start to say, okay you know, they'll, they'll make their final decisions. Okay. So we'll get a, a, a burst of commitments, you know, to right. you know, the first week of January, but yeah, most of them will commit usually by about 10 days out. It's pretty rare that they, you know, make that last minute of a decision, but it does happen. I mean, it does, I've not, you know, we've had surprise commitments, you know, the, you know, two o'clock on the Friday before the tournament.
0: Oh my gosh. That's kind of interesting. And when they commit, are they, bound to play? I mean, barring any injury that would pull them out? Yeah, they kind of are. I
1: mean, it's, 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 it's a good faith, you know, system. I mean, yeah, they really can't withdraw unless um, they have a really, really good reason. Um, It can be injury um, certainly, you know, a health situation um, something's happened in their family, their immediate family. I mean, so there's definitely reasons that they can quote, withdraw, um, but they're highly encouraged to not commit and then just go, oh, I've changed my mind. Right. Um, because we start to market them, right? I mean, right. I, can't, I can't, we have a strict rule with the PGA Tour that tournaments aren't allowed to start to market those players until they commit. So I can't start, So so even though we go on sale with our tickets in October, I can use past champions in my marketing materials up until a point but uh, eventually you know by the you know January February time frame you really at that point should only be using players in your marketing materials that you know are going to play and that have committed and the last thing you want is you know a huge name to commit you've splashed them all over your marketing and then they withdraw so 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 a lot that's why a lot of the times you know some of the real bigger names that move the needle you know, with, with ticket sales are tend to be later commitments just because they, they want to be respectful and they know that the minute they do commit, you're going to start to use them in marketing. Yeah. And they certainly don't want to disappoint their fans and then withdraw. So, I mean, it happens, but it's, it's, you know, situations happen, but, but they really try and minimize those occurrences.
0: Wow. Um, you have done a lot with, The Valspar Championship to to make it an event that is family friendly and also incorporates more than just golf. Can you talk about some of the things you all did this year that really added to the experience for people who were going?
1: Yeah, we certainly. Just as you said, we're really we are really trying to make you know, our tournament week here in Tampa Bay, be the place to be that week, whether you are a golf fan or not, whether you're an avid golf fan, you're a casual golf fan, or if you've never even played the game or even seen golf on (laughs) on television, we want to do and add enough fun, cool things to do that it, it attracts you to come out. So we focus on obviously the family So kids fifteen and under are free. We build a big family fun zone with a twenty foot high rock climbing wall and putting, um, you know, putt putt areas and um, games and crafts for the kids. All that sort of stuff. Free popsicles, you name it. Right. Um, We do. We last year brought in um, a celebrity chef, actually from Boston, um, Ming Tsai, um, Uh, and yes, and he came in um, for two days and did cooking demonstrations and one of the tents on site. We do things like um, a huge concert. So um, we started three years ago. It's called Valspar Live, and we bring in a huge country name usually, usually country. Um, so we've brought in the Bam Perry, Rascal Flats and last year Toby Keith, and we put on a huge concert um, that usually about twelve to fourteen thousand people stay and watch. Um, where do and,
0: you put Where do you put and, it on?
1: Yes, yeah, so we we actually have a second driving range um, at Innisbrook Resort. So our tournament is um, played at Innisbrook, which is a tremendous. Um, oh my gosh! It's so pretty. Yeah, Pinellas County. It's got four golf courses. Um, you know, terrific amenities. And so there's a second driving range. So we actually build a concert, like an <laughs> amphitheater. Know, sort of. We build a big stage. So yeah. it's but um, lawn seating. So oh, um, but we build uh, literally the the size concert stage that you would see at like the Mid Florida um, yeah. Amphitheater and so it's um you so that's attracting obviously a whole different you know sort of sort of demographic sometimes that is coming to watch so we're hoping that they come early which they usually tend to do and actually watch some golf and then maybe become a fan and want to come back and watch the tournament just for the sake of the tournament too so um and then we do a variety of other things like um build like this past year we built um chameleon cove which was a 10,000 square foot beach made out of you know beautiful sugar sand from oh you know from our, our beautiful sand here in Pinellas County and we built a 50 ton um, sand sculpture a, a, a chameleon which is a the chameleons are um, what Valspar? That's I don't want to say it's their mascot because that's not correct. But um, basically, in a lot of their branding, they they use two chameleons, John and Val. So we built a right. huge sand sculpture of of um, John, <laughs> John, the chameleon John. Uh, you know, for people to see. And then we do tons of social stuff, and we have color scouts. So we send out um, ten volunteers um, all day long on um, golf carts and backpacks and if you come dress colorfully to the tournament they hand out free prizes. so Turfus tumblers and sunglasses and concession coupons and you know so those That's those really are just cute. yeah a, a sample of the things that we do we do a lot more yeah. than that but um we just try and make it a really fun atmosphere for people to come out and watch golf
0: and color is a big theme for y'all because of
1: valspar correct?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Valspar is obviously a paint company, um, and
1: well, which was just actually acquired, um, uh, by Sherwin Williams. So, so it doesn't exist as a company. Now it's a paint brand. Um, so, but yes, obviously being a, you know, uh, title sponsored by paint, um, you know we want to be colorful so our, our tagline for the tournament is the most colorful pga tour tournament in the world and we make sure that we live up to that so um every all our hospitality facilities um are you know it's not just the the normal white tents and green mesh so you know that you see at tournaments right. i mean we have white tents and green mesh but you know all the tents are decorated on the outside and inside with um, a ton of colorful um uh, signage and decor um all throughout the tournament. It's all about color everywhere. We put colorful Adirondack seating, um, everywhere Mm -hmm. throughout the course. Um, so we just do a lot of things. So when, when you come, you know, in each, I think Valspar is very, very creative, you know, so on the Adirondack chairs, for example, they'll hang a tag, that shows what paint what the color, color is yeah was used so it's an, actual, it's an awesome. actual paint chip you know like you would see in a store yeah. that's actually hanging from the Adirondack chair so you know what paint color like if you liked that Adirondack chair you know you buy that paint color how um, smart
0: is that I mean it, it, that I love that you're able to be really creative too with this type of title sponsor because it allows you so much flexibility and like how you provide an experience
1: Exactly. Even in um, some of our hospitality facilities, for example, instead of having like a normal rental chandelier that might be hanging in a, a beautiful hospitality facility, we actually build chandeliers out of paint cans. So old paint cans, we take oh them gosh. and cut out the bottoms, and we have created and built our own huge chandeliers that are made out of a hundred paint cans um, at a time. It's a but so the, the yes, you can do some really fun, cool things with with the brand. Um, so. It's it's you know, for example one of the things Valspar did. They have obviously a huge expo. Um, in each year they're highlighting different paint colors and what the new trends are and so forth. But they have a game, a putting game in there where it's um like plinko. Remember the the, the, yeah. uh, the Price is Right. Um, yeah. so so you put up a ramp and when your ball comes down and it's plinking through, it's plinking through paint cans. You <laughs> know, I mean, so it, those are you know it it is they're a fun title sponsor because you can really. Emphasize their brand in some really interesting, fun ways.
0: Yeah. And I mean, again, back to the adronic chairs and the little tags, like, how smart is that? Because how many times have you been, you know, to a restaurant or to really anywhere and you're like, oh my gosh, I love that pink color. I want it for X, Y, or Z. And nobody can tell you what color it is. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. But we can.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I worked at a restaurant um, in Hingham. Uh, a, I don't know, years ago, I think probably right around, uh, you could have still been in the area. Um, And uh, everyone who came, excuse me, all the women who came in would be like, I love this wall color. And we had the chips like in the desk, the hosting desk, because we knew it just became a thing. People were always asking. So that's such a smart way of doing it. And, and it adds a little fun. You think of golf, you don't necessarily think of the most um, colorful, you know, type of thing. I mean, it's right. gotten more colorful as years have gone on and particularly with the, uh, the, the player um, personalities. Um, so that's really fun. And Tampa is such a good fit for that.
1: Yeah, it really is. I mean, we've got such a supportive community. And, you know, now that we have a, you know, such a great title sponsor in Valspar, um, you know, and re-energized our Copperhead organization, which is um, a group of over 160 uh, business and civic leaders throughout the community that make up our copperhead charities, if you will. Um, and they, they go out into the community serve as, as our ambassadors help, um, raise sponsorship dollars, you know, to support the event and, and ticket sales and so forth. They're just a great group of individuals and it really through Valspar and, and the hard work of the copperheads. Um, yeah, we've really made great strides in our tournament over the last, um, you know, last four years. Um, we've had, um, huge growth and, Spectators coming to watch the event. Um, we've had huge growth in sponsorships, you know, the number of sponsors involved. It really truly, I think has gone from what people would have considered as, oh, that North Pinellas County event, you know, to mm-hmm. a powerhouse in the region. Um, and and we really we really kinda are now that place to be our tournament week. And if you don't at least come out one day, you know, you might not come out, you know, all seven days, but if you don't come out at least one day we want people to feel like they miss something. And I think people do feel that. So,
0: yeah, I mean, Innisbrook is beautiful. Um, I, I was, uh, spoiled, I guess. My first time playing golf was at Innisbrook to start (laughs) is just silly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's a tough course. (laughs) The copperheads are really hard course. (laughs) I mean, it, it was, I don't even know. And the, the men I went with, you know, one I, um, is a colleague of mine, and, and the other was uh, is the husband of um, a former colleague, and yeah, I mean they were great because they knew I had no idea what I was doing, um, but the grounds were so well kept, and um, your the clubhouse was great. Um, I had a an amazing burger there (laughs) that's good good. (laughs) i was so hungry after
1: (laughs) they they tend to have um some pretty good chefs there so yeah yeah, it's a it's a really nice resort
0: (laughs) um the things that i remember um can you tell me more about what pro link sports is and and aside from the valspar championship um you know what else do you all do Sure, sure. So we're, um, uh,
1: you know, a small company. There's uh, about 38 of us right now, um, you know, that work at ProLink Sports. And basically we we focus on pro golf management. Um, So obviously we manage this event, the Valspar Championship. We manage four events on the Champions Tour. So one in Minneapolis, um, Bogarton, Houston um, and Sioux Falls. Um, we consult and help um, the title sponsors at um, uh, one other the the, the championship event in pebble beach and then we do um, additional golf work Um, we at the world golf championship in mexico city Um, so we um, consult and um, really take care of the title sponsor there the host family um, that that um, operates that event. Uh, we some work at the Dell match play. So for Dell, um, so we basically have our hands in, you know, like three PGA tour events, five champions tour events. And then we do, um, a significant amount of work for, um, uh, about five fortune 500 companies, um, at the masters and at Pebble beach. So when they do, um, Client hospitality during the week of the Masters. Um, Mm -hmm. We rent the homes, help them get tickets, um, help take care of their clients, uh, their travel needs, all that sort of stuff. And logistics, bring in players, um, Champions Tour players that, you know, obviously aren't playing anymore in the Masters, but exactly to attend dinners and meet and greets and things like that. Um, We do the same thing. um, And uh, Pebble Beach for, for several companies. So we don't do... Uh, you know, if a if a company has just a, a regular golf, you know, right. uh, outing, you know, a Monday outing, they want to do. No, we don't do that sort of work. We we focus on the high end. You know, they're bringing in clients throughout the country and the world. Sort of events. Um, so yeah, so it's 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 a great you know great group of people. As I said, House Cavanaugh is the um, you know the CEO, and most of our staff have been with us for. Years, um, a lot of them are former interns, you know, that we've hired over the years. Yeah. Um, but uh, most of our staff, um, you know, because have kind of quote grown up with us, you know, grown up with the company, and um, you know, it's we've got a great, great group of folks. Um, so yeah, it's a fun, and such it's an a fun interesting, company,
0: interesting business, uh, and I mean, obviously needed, right? You never really. This is why I love doing these interviews because. You learn about all these different areas that people can go into in sports that you don't necessarily think of right off the top of your head. And that type of company is, you know, one of those things that you wouldn't necessarily think about. Uh, And it's very smart. (laughs) yeah exactly. well, and that's just it. I mean everyone you know
1: a lot a lot of folks obviously you know you know kids coming out of college think immediately you know the four big you know four big leagues and you know they don't always think about hey, there's you know pj Tour, there's you know MLS, there's you know I mean there's a bazillion other ways you know to get in sports and there's a lot of opportunities and you work hard. you know, a lot of people always think of the the glamour, you know, part of working right. in pro sports and, um, anyone that actually works in pro sports, it is not glamorous whatsoever. Um, you know, you it's have, brutal. You have some hours. surreal
0: moments. You have some surreal moments. Uh, you times. do get to, yes, no, you get to do,
1: you know, sometimes you can do some pretty neat things. And I, I have done, I've had my fair, more than my fair share over my career of really, really cool experiences, you know, but, you know, we've also, you know, there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot that you give up, you know, from, you know, a family perspective and working nights and weekends. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not for the faint of heart, you know, yeah. if you want a, a, you know, nine to five job, um, this is not it.
0: <laughs> oh gosh. Our COO says that all the time. Um, <laughs> and I mean, it's true. You know, I, it's funny when my friends are like, so when, you know, uh, well, when, when are you going to be out of work? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know when the day, like what will happen in a day. Uh, right, right. Hopefully not crazy late, but you never know. I mean, and I try and and be as um, upfront about that as possible whenever I make plans, you know, during the week in particular. Um, and then any, you know, anytime around um, a, a home game weekend, it's always, you know, kind of up for grabs whether or not I'll be available. Um, right. And you know, I'm sure leading up to your event in particular, um, you know, on both sides of it, leading up to and right after, I mean, people probably can't even get in touch with you.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that, it, definitely not. I mean, there's 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 just no question. And, you know, my family's really used to it and extended family friends. Uh, yeah, they they know pretty much about two months of the year. I'm like, I just disappear. I, I literally you know, I am not, I'm not a good friend. I'm not a good good spouse. I'm not a good parent. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, it's the, you know, those two months uh, particularly are yeah, yeah, just, you know, dawn to dusk um, seven days a week. So
0: how do you keep your energy up, uh, particularly the week of the event, but you know, those two months, how do you, how do you maintain the stamina and energy that you have to get through it?
1: Yeah, you know, it's getting increasingly difficult the older I get. But, um, I, you know, I, I've just, I guess I've just been really blessed that uh, I really don't require a lot of sleep, or at least I can ramp up myself, um, you know, mentally and physically that. Uh, you know, I can progressively start to you know instead of getting seven hours or six and a half, you know, I can work my way down. You know, <laughs> to you know, to you know, living on you know four hours of sleep. You know, for sure. for several weeks. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just able. I guess I'm just able to do it. Um, I, I I don't know how. Uh, I'm not a big um, caffeine person. I don't drink coffee. I don't, I don't use any energy drinks.
0: You should have seen um, my, my, my face just then. I just did one of those, what, huh? Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I drink like one cup of tea a day. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know, I guess I think it's just the, um, just the general high of doing an event that sure. I, I just, I really love it. Uh, and I, I get, I can see the finish line and I appreciate, you know, our team and all our volunteers and, you know, so just to see all the hard work, um, what you're doing, you know, 50 weeks, you know, come together those last two weeks, um, is, is really fulfilling for me. And, um, yeah. So I, I guess I just live off of the, the high of, you know, what's happening in front of me.
0: Sure. You're, um, one of only, two female tournament directors is that correct
1: yeah on the pga tour there's there's definitely more on the champions tour which is the champions tour being the older than 50 um uh, tournaments um you know so 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 they're the you know pros like the tom kites the legends of the world right um and then pga tour is obviously the younger guys um so yeah there's on the pga tour there's um, two female tournament directors
0: are there more in the lpga or no i don't know um, I don't know. Uh, my guess is, yeah, I would assume
1: definitely more, you know, mm-hmm. than two on their on their circuit. But uh, I don't know how many there are. Um,
0: how. How do you think we go about getting more women in the golf? business? Uh, you know, what are what are some of the things that can be done or or what are some things that you do to help encourage that?
1: Yeah. Um, well, definitely, you know, um, I mean, when I, you know, truly when I'm hiring, I, I do try and hire the best candidate. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, but yes, if I, I will purposely try and, you know, outreach and find, um, you know, find females, um, you know, when we have positions that are open and encourage them to apply. So I think the first half of it, it's, you know, making, when you do have a job opening, you know, making a conscious effort to at least make sure that you're reaching out to females to apply, um, first and foremost, um, you may not end up hiring them and you may end up hiring, you know, the best qualified candidate, but at least get them to start applying. Um, you know, and that also starts, you know, from us, from an intern perspective, um, you know, so making sure that, you know, I, I will, purposely try and make sure that, you know, when we have 10 college interns, you know, that I'm trying to make sure that we have both females and, and males, you know, and, and folks of, you know, all different backgrounds, um, you know, to make sure that there's a variety of voices, right. That are, that are part of the event. Um, and I think when, when they see that, when the females experience, you know, an internship in professional sports, it might lead them to think, you know, wow, okay, this is a viable career path. Um. And I think it's also making sure that, you know, females like, you know, like the two of us that, you know, that are in the industry, you know, that we're taking the time to go to colleges and go to sports programs and speak. I ne- I always um, accept those invitations and those opportunities mm-hmm. when they when they come, you know, come my way, um, even if it's in a busy time for myself, you know, just because I'm, I'm trying to make sure that they see that there are females working, you know, in the industry. Um, So I try and speak, I mean, obviously it benefits the tournament too, when I'm out speaking at uh, different industry functions and doing speaking panels for, you know, the Tampa Bay sports commission, when those opportunities arrive or the Tampa Bay business journal and those sorts of things. So, so folks see that, wow, there are successful females, you know, in C-suite, you know, positions um, in, in pro sports. So. I think th- those are the best, you know, best things that you can do is just lead by example and and try and spread the word organically as much as you can.
0: Yeah. I mean, you and I met after you did one of those panels or be- right before you did one, even though I'd reached out previously to you. Um, that was when we met in person. Okay. And I, I think um, Tampa Bay Business Journal and um, Tampa Bay Times, you know, do a good job of highlighting the, the women. Um, working in sports in the area, um, especially those who have um, great influence, because there are so many down here, which is right. phenomenal. Um, it is. It's great. And yeah. they do.
1: They're, those are, you know, they're great. They're they're great for our community, those, you know, those um, publications. And it's wonderful.
0: Yeah. Um, and I agree. I mean, I, you know, whenever I'm asked to speak, I, I try to um, make sure I do that, even if it's like an online Q&A. And um, and I mean, even just with me, you were so great in you know, taking the time to speak to me previously just about whatever and to get to know each other. And, um, you know, I really appreciated that and, um, uh, you know, hope to continue to do that too for others. Um, Absolutely. I, think, I think it's really, it can be really important. Um, I have a couple of personal questions for you. Um, A little bit away from the golf scene. Do you do anything for yourself in the way of self-care to, you know, whether it be to unwind, to get your mind in the right headspace or just to, you know, kind of take care of you? Not as much
1: as I should, um, (laughs) to be honest. Um, You know, I I really don't. Um, I try to exercise when I can, but I'm not um, consistent at it, um, unfortunately. For me, um, yeah, I probably place myself last, uh, which that's not unusual. I I think a a lot of women that work do that. Yeah, Um, I've gotten that answer a few times. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But you know, I try and um, you know carve out time to go get manicures and pedicures, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, once a month we you know, try and get a massage if I can, doesn't happen, you know, four or five months before the tournament, but you know, the, right. the other off season, but for me, um, yeah, doing things for myself means really just trying to spend time with uh, my family. Um, cause I, I get a, a real charge out of them and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard um being an empty nester now and um, you know, my husband and I have had a, you know, a renewed uh sense of togetherness, but um yeah. but uh, you know, I I get a charge out of, you know, spending time with them as much as I can. Um but yeah, I, you know I I don't read as much as I should. I don't um, you know I don't I'll think
0: watch, any of us do.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, there's um I just it just doesn't happen. But um yeah. I try and carve out, you know, times to, you know, see a movie every once in a while and um, you know, most of the TV that I watch, quite frankly, is stuff that, um, I don't have to concentrate hard on, you know, sure. cause I'm typically working while I'm half watching. <laughs> sure. Sure. So, you know, it's usually things you know, that is just background stuff, nothing uh, that, that, you know, I, I, have to pay super close attention to, but, uh, but I try and watch some Netflix series here and there. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, I, I totally understand that with the background noise and doing that. Um, do you um uh, what's the most recent movie that you saw? We actually
1: went over the the long uh uh you know, holiday weekend here on the July fourth weekend. Um when I uh my son and husband and I, my daughter didn't go. We went and saw um oh my god, the Beguiled. With oh. uh, Nicole Kidman and uh, gosh, who's the other actress in it? Um a couple other folks. It was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was my favorite movie in the world, but uh yeah, it was just
0: a little different than what I thought it was going to be. Interesting. Have you seen Wonder Woman? Uh, yes, I actually have seen Wonder Woman. So, how did you feel about
1: it? I, I thought it was fine. <laughs> 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 it's usually not my sort of uh, my sort genre. Of, yeah, genre. Yeah. I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm usually more of a romantic, uh, a romantic comedy sort of person. Or sure. You know action but not usually superhero we sort of action <laughs>
0: gotcha i i i understand um and then um do you have any you know morning or evening rituals or uh routines that you follow
1: um you know not not a ton other than um you know, I certainly, the first thing, you know, first thing in the morning is unfortunately like immediately, you know, looking at the phone, um, which I'm sure is not unusual for, for most folks, but, um, yeah, I check my email right away just to see if there's anything that's, you know, happened, um, you know, in the five hours I slept, uh, right. six hours I slept, but, um, and then, you know, checking news. So, you know, checking Tampa Bay times online and USA today, usually primarily, um, and obviously um looking at Facebook and Twitter just real quick too so I usually spend about a half hour doing that and Mm -hmm. then I get ready for the day and and uh and head out the door I usually uh eat in my car um because it's I'm all (laughs) about um multitasking sure (laughs) so I'm that bad driver eating cereal you know driving down the road
0: oh my gosh Um, you eat
1: cereal I, I'm very talented at doing it. <laughs> that is
0: very, I mean, listen, that's the Boston skills. I'm just going to blame that. Yeah. yeah haven't crashed yep. yet. <laughs> no, nope. But so, that is, that's, that, that is talent, my friend.
1: Yeah. So it's either, you know, cereal and tea I bring with me, <laughs> or I definitely, um, you know, multiple times a week, uh, I do do my, I, I have to get my Boston fix and actually stop at Dunkin' Donuts. So, yep. Yeah, which um, anyone from New England and Boston will understand that.
0: Uh, it was so. one of it was one of the first things when I um, was telling a couple of people about the possibility of getting my current position. Uh, I was, you know, right outside Boston. I was living in Quincy, and the company I worked for then was in Quincy. And um, one of the first things multiple people asked me was, "Do they even have a Dunkin' Donuts near there?" Yeah.
1: That that's literally it was one of the first things that I Googled. <laughs> you know, when we Same. when I flew down to decide you know, to, to kind of take a look at the place and decide if we were gonna yeah. take the position or not for sure. Um yeah. I mean I Googled, okay, where's the nearest <laughs> <on> condolence locations?
0: <laughs> yeah. I had I had picked um where I thought I was gonna live because I'm that confident that I already had started like looking online at apartments prior to my interview. And um because I knew it would be a quick turnaround and we did a, I, I basically figured out where I thought I wanted to be and we did a, a, a Dunkin' Donuts search and it was, you know, about a mile and I was like, done, I'm in.
1: Yeah, that, seriously, <laughs> it is. And, uh, you know, and, and people think I was just crazy, you know, so when I first even got <laughs> down here, you know, that I'm like, well, you know, we'll do it you know, let's go grab, you know, coffee. And for me, obviously it's tea. It's like, uh, you know, there's a Starbucks right down the road. I'm like, um, no, where's the nearest Duncan?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's really funny too, because, um, that's how I connected with some people in my office was, um, one of our sales guys, um, in our Sarasota office, he walked by my office. He's like, Duncan. And, you know, kind of gave me a look. I'm like, yeah, I'm from like Massachusetts. He's like, "Me too." <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. A, it's it, so is what it is. So, so, yeah. So that's my morning routine and then um no I really don't have a night routine other than, you know, I mean uh, definitely when the kids were younger, you know, once they sure. you know went to bed, uh, you know, it's all time on the laptop um and pretty much now that's that way now too, obviously. Um sure. so now I pretty much work until, you know, uh, up until going you know time to go to bed so yeah pretty much
0: <laughs> i get it yeah um it, it's it's fun for me to hear about people's routines it's something that i've become really interested in um while i try and figure out what works best for me and you know in in my life um so i appreciate you sharing that and uh i know it's not directly related to to your work but i i, I grew up not really um knowing how to be a woman if that makes sense which I know it doesn't but I had a very non uh feminine type mother she didn't really know how to do things and didn't really I don't know show me the typical rituals or how to you know do do makeup and stuff like that and that's by I know means what I'm talking about here but you know it's so it's interesting to me to hear um and and for men too um one of the podcasts I listened to the Tim Ferris um podcast he um you know asks a similar question and I always find it intriguing the answers um, yeah
1: no matter who it's from sure but, well and I'm you know I, I I'm the same way I, yeah I am I'm just I'm not a girly girl um I <laughs> and nothing wrong with that I just I don't right. I don't have the rituals of, okay, do all this for your skincare and I'm sure I'm going to regret it at some point. Um, (laughs) But you know, it's like, if I even wash my face before I go to bed, that's a miracle. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's pretty much my whole life. It's slap on some oil of Olay and (laughs) and call it good.
0: (laughs) You are speaking to my soul with that. Uh, (laughs) I think that's something that I've only just this year really gotten, um, you know, in the habit of doing, I was, Constantly, the chick who went to bed with her makeup on. Oh yeah, and uh and then you know down here with the humidity, you're like, well, it's running off my face anyway, so <laughs> I should right. probably just wash it off. Yeah, I,
1: I should follow that advice, but no, I just I'll yeah. go to bed with you know. All that matters, Tracy, sweat is all over my face.
0: <laughs> all that matters is that you're wearing sunblock because you are a, a uh, you know a paler person with lighter coloring and yeah. this is tampa and as i learned this weekend you will burn really easily which i did this weekend and yeah. and that
1: was with you know 100 sunblock black on so, i mean yeah. i yeah it doesn't so matter I, I just i mean i i wear it but i it, it literally i can burn five minutes out in the sun
0: I, I do fairly well, but for whatever reason, and it probably because I insisted on not getting under an umbrella at all, which hey, guess what guys, the sun is very different in Tampa and Florida generally than it is in the Northeast. And it takes a while to get that build into your head. Yeah. Um, been, but that's
1: totally true. <laughs> it, it re- I mean, it really is. Um, it is, but yeah, it's, I, no matter what I do, it doesn't seem. So I just try and avoid the sun if I can. <laughs>
0: <laughs> which works out well when you have a golf tournament. yeah you when you work own. outside. It works out really well. <laughs> yeah. Um well, I want to thank you so much for um taking the time to do this and to, to share your stories and talk with us. Um I you know, you you added so much to the podcast by doing that and um I really really appreciate it.
1: Well, it was a as I said, a real pleasure and um thank you for asking me. I'm very honored.
0: Well, clearly Tracy and I were getting a little punchy at the end there, but I hope you all enjoyed our conversation. Um, it has been great for me to have women like Tracy in my life that I know I can speak to about issues that pop up. And I hope you're all using this as a resource to learn from and maybe to find people to reach out to that have positions to be interested in later in your career or... Now, um, as always, please, please, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review uh, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, um, Google Play, RadioInfluence.com, TuneIn, and wherever else it is that you listen to your podcasts, um, you can get more information on the website ltpfpod.com and it is up to date. I know it was a little behind, but I have made sure to get it up and running and we are good to go. And please give me your suggestions and feedback. I want to get better at this. So let me know. I would like to let you know that those first episodes were except for the Jen Welter one were all recorded um, throughout the summer. So, it was before I met my great guys at RadioInfluence.com, and they started helping me with my audio, so they should be better going forward. I know we had a couple of rough ones there. And, as always, a big shout-out to my guys at RadioInfluence.com for making sure these sound as good as they can. Um if you'd want to follow us on social media, you can at LTpfPod on the the Twitter, the Facebook, and the Instagram. The Instagram's a little sad right now, but I'm I'm learning. Um, we'll we'll have some fun things up there for y'all soon. And you can email me at uh, LTpfPod at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on my personal Twitter at Bobby Sue B-O-B-B-I-S-U-E. Please share these episodes with someone you know that would be interested in either a career in sports, or they just like sports, or they want to hear women talking about working in sports. Um, all sharing is highly, highly acceptable. <laughs> I hope you are all well. And next week, we are going to bring in someone who has a little less experience than the majority of our um, guests so far, just so you can get a different point of view. Talk soon.